0: In a world where coaches are still the main characters, the players are now legally chasing the ultimate bag, and the game of basketball is always the top priority, there is only one brand you can trust to help you wade through all the madness. Hey, I'm Tate Frazier from One Shining Podcast. And you can join me twice a week as we navigate the always entertaining world of college basketball. Every Monday, the Ringer's Kyle Mann helps me make sense of the biggest stories from the weekend. And on Fridays, we talk to our many friends of the program. We're locked in on the best postseason in sports. Make sure you follow One Shining Podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to ArmorAll's website after you buy visit armorall.com for program details and redemption terms apply armorall chosen by champions hello welcome to the ringer f1 show part of the ringer podcast network i am your host megan schuster and we are here today to discuss drive to survive season six episodes six through ten This is the second of two Drive to Survive pods that we are doing, this one covering the second half of the season. So if you haven't watched those episodes yet, you may want to pause and come back and be sure that you check out our episode with the wonderful Juliet Littman covering the first half of the season. These final five episodes have a lot to talk about from Alpine struggles to Daniel Ricciardo being back and then being hurt to the early rumblings of Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari. Thank God. Joining me to get on to all of this is my Ringer colleague and reality TV expert, Jody Walker. Jody, how are you?
0: Megan, I'm so good. I am always glad to bring my very uninformed sports opinions to the Ringer <laughs> F1 show, but very informed reality TV opinions. Um, and I just love Drive to Survive. So it is always wonderful to be here once or twice a year to chat about it with you.
1: Well, we're so happy to have you. Um we can get into episode specifics in just a bit, but to start, we're six seasons into Drive to Survive now. How are you rating the show as a reality property this far in? And are you as invested in the storylines as you were in the first few seasons? Has that changed at all for you? Like, how are you viewing the show kind of as a whole?
0: That's a great question because six seasons is a lot of seasons of something. And it's a lot of it's seasons a lot. of a reality TV show in the sort of Real Housewives world when a franchise makes it to season six. It's kind of like, a, that's like middle ground. That's like, oh, this is a lasting property and it could mm-hmm. go to 13 seasons, which is my, <laughs> or 14 or 15, which is like what we're breaking into mm-hmm. now. My greatest hope for Drive to Survive is that it will because as a reality TV property, I think it's a total win it Mm -hmm. tells such weird and interesting narratives in terms of like being naturally built to be sort of and you know it it is a sports docuseries it's not Mm -hmm. fully reality tv but we've said this all along it's built for reality tv the people are beautiful the people are rich (laughs) they lead interesting and wild lives like there is uh you know there are several several shots this season that are just full on Succession cosplay. Like it absolutely (laughs) looks like Esteban Ocon is on a yacht with his family Mm -hmm. in a scene from Succession. Um, And so in that way, and and the characters are always turning over and they are characters in many ways, just like on reality TV. These are real people who are, we are being served a slice of their life presented to us in a narrative format. And so like in that way, it's such a success The weird Mm -hmm. thing about there being six seasons is that now we can compare it to itself. You know, we can compare season six to season one to season two to season three. And I enjoyed season six. I always enjoy this show. There's like... For me, as you know, I am Drive to Survive canon only. I actually mm-hmm. work really hard to not find out anything about real Formula One throughout the season <laughs> because I want to enjoy Drive to Survive on a very purest mm-hmm. level. And I, I mm-hmm. find that, you know, my really special angle to come to the show. And so I don't have much to complain about in general during the season. I know for people who follow f one. There are going to be times where you're like, that didn't happen or that's not (laughs) the way that happened or this isn't fair or like, Mm -hmm. please just show me Max, like whatever, you know, whatever (laughs) you might think from your actual point of view. But for me, there aren't a lot of complaints from like the stories they tell. But I'll say this, season six, I found myself a little less hyped than in previous seasons because I think what I came to in the end is, the way that season six is built is it's really kind of setting up season seven. And I don't know if they did that on purpose. I don't know if that's just because of how the actual sport was playing out. But like Will Buxton is literally giving like to be continued about <laughs> what's going to happen with Red yes. Bull's, you know, four person lineup. He, he, he literally is like, and next season, I know this season didn't end up being really interesting, but mm-hmm. next season's going to be crazy. And I believe him and I'll be tuned in. But in some ways it felt like in season six there weren't a lot of wins um you know and and part of that is like the lack of focus on the actual person and team winning almost literally all of the races Uh and when you're not seeing that and I understand that from a narrative level but when you're not seeing that and then also the sort of underdog narratives that are being built which are Mm -hmm. really what drive to survive like lives and dies on those also don't really end up being wins. It was just kind of a (laughs) lot of like, it was really compelling story, but it was kind of a downer.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm fully with you in that. I I think that in past seasons, we've had a lot of success with this show, even without, you know, like in season one, for instance, they didn't have access to Mercedes or Ferrari. And I still felt like it was an incredible season because we're being introduced to these characters in this way for the first time. We are getting some of the underdog stuff. I mean, you know, anytime you're getting like Daniel Ricardo out there winning races, that is, you know, pure unbridled joy, pure Netflix gold. That's wonderful. We're meeting Gunther Steiner for the first time. We are getting the Haas drama. And this year, those beats are there. Like we, we still saw some of the Haas stuff. We saw, you know, said goodbye to our good friend Gunther at the, at the end who, uh, unfortunately, did not have his contract renewed with Haas, which RIP. I mean, I do.
0: I think the fact that this season ended with like text across the screen, Gunter's <laughs> contract was not renewed, was like pretty indicative of the season. Like, ouch, yes. ouch.
1: <laughs> yes. So so you get those narratives, but they're not really paying off like they used to. We're getting, you know, some excitement with Williams and James Vowels and things like that. And but again, that's more like, oh, this team is starting something. And like, maybe next year they can do big things like you're saying. And we're not seeing a lot of that payoff. And then we get, you know, I think Max, we got like maybe under five shots of him speaking all season. We got really next to nothing from any of his race wins. They set up the 10th episode of this as the battle between Mercedes and Ferrari for second place, which, uh, you know, it was a legitimate battle during the season, but is not the most exciting to someone who is coming to this show and being like, I am here for the drama. Um, We did get a couple of standout episodes, though, I will say. And we'll, we'll talk about one of them in this. But which parts of this series are like most effective for you right now as someone not watching week to week? What are the beats that you kind of are looking
0: for? I mean, like I said, I think that this series, with any reality show, really with any show, the show kind of teaches you how to watch it. And so in season one, Drive to Survive was this real hit for a couple of reasons, you know, one of them being timing of like w- mm-hmm. when we were, when it sort of caught on. And I think it did catch on a little bit after it originally premiered. But in that first season, like you said, Daniel Ricardo, uh, you know, like, I I don't know, I became a big fan of like all of the like blonde Haas drivers who, yeah, in the grand right. scheme of things, you know, are, like, maybe not the people that that you most get behind, but there were these underdog stories. Mm-hmm. So, And, like, you know, Roman Grosjean coming through fire. Like, these are the things yeah. that, that really catch on. And so it sort of teaches you to watch for these underdog stories. And even in that first season, it sort of teaches you you're not You're not going to get a really exciting story from watching the dominant first place team. It used to be Mercedes, now it's Red Bull. And there's no competition for that <laughs> first place seat. And so you're, y- you know, if you're a big fan of those people really in the sport, then that's going to be exciting to watch them win every time. It's not going to be exciting to watch them win every time on the show. So for me, right. these underdog narratives really, really hit. So like, for me, Liam Lawson coming in and just, you know, I mean, he gets two points, you know, like it's not this huge win, but it feels like this huge win. And, and just getting to see someone come up like that. Also, like James Vals, you and Juliet talked about coming in as, um, you know, I mean, he moves Williams to, to seventh in the constructors, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, they that's yes. crazy to me, you know, as someone who's not following along. So those sort of storylines that feel like they come out of nowhere, I think are really exciting. What's a little bit harder and what's not hitting for me as much in season six is are the people who have now sort of been underdogs for six seasons so like mm-hmm. we love Gunter but it's like <laughs> where's is, where is this going like how long can this man lose and I guess we got the answer at the end um and, and even I think for like Daniel Ricardo coming back it's it's exciting to see him back he is like a person that I love so much on this show but it's a little bit like oh you it felt a little like you had your chance at a chance at underdog why do you get it again when you're Mm -hmm. looking at it from like a purely character point of view? But I think that in the back half, those were the things that were exciting. And then also like just getting to watch Lewis Hamilton, like to get a Lewis Hamilton episode in in episode six was, it is both exciting and sort of frustrating. Like, you know, you, you really feel his frustration and even getting to like, for Lewis, who is such a like, sort of enigmatic person and, and you know, like you don't really get that peek behind the scenes to even see his frustration and then to see how he just continues to handle it like such a not-asshole. Like his ability to <laughs> not be an asshole remains incredible, I think.
1: it's It's so true. And we can just get into the episodes because I think episode six was my favorite of this season. There was a ton to get into with it. Like very, very explosive, especially given the context that we now know He is moving to Ferrari for 2025. We find that out last month. This was a very, very interesting episode. And I'm really curious to talk editing about it with you because by the time that they are putting this show together, ostensibly, and and maybe they, you know, have fine-tuned some of this before the Ferrari news comes to play. But there are a lot of like very telling quotes in this, a lot of stuff surrounding Ferrari specifically and not just his negotiations with Mercedes about his upcoming contract. Um, It it was, it was fascinating to me. And these are the episodes that I really like. And we got a good one. I remember last year with some of the Oscar Piastri, Alpine, McLaren stuff. And I think this is where the show is at its best, where it kind of is able to peek behind some of the negotiating curtain and some of the, you know, what what are drivers actually thinking in these moments where they're renegotiating contracts? Because, I love to hear Lewis Hamilton's perspective. And it was fascinating for me to hear him say things like, you know, that he told Mercedes after the 2022 season that they needed to make changes to the car to be competitive, that they sort of gaslit him and said, you know, you're wrong. We know what we're doing. And then they come into 2023 and have to admit, you were right and we messed this up. And like, I can't imagine being Lewis Hamilton and having somebody tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to Formula One. Like, that's just wild.
0: And that was a specific moment when I thought like his ability to not be an asshole is incredible because even when he's relaying that information, he's like, you know, they told me that I was wrong. And I said, okay, I don't want to like step on anyone's toes. I'll back off. Mm -hmm. And then not only was I right, but they said I was right. And this car (laughs) still sucks and it's gonna keep sucking until they change it and I'm driving it. And really, it is only like only he and George Russell can can report back what is wrong yeah like they might not know the screws and bolts but it, it I can only imagine the frustration and that's a really good point Megan I think like sometimes I'm not always appreciating that as much as like just a watcher of the show that sure like that kind of stuff is what you're so not getting to see on the track when you're watching the races like getting to see those contract negotiations and I want to know about money I would love to know a lot more about money like I I want Mm -hmm. them to be saying literally every fact and figure that they (laughs) they can I want to know exactly how much money people are making what's on the table how much these engines cost like what these penalties like I just I really find that that part of it really fascinating but yeah listening to that and you could tell he was mad you know like you even though it's like still Lewis Hamilton but even him just being like arriving at that, like, film shoot that they had to do (laughs) and not listening to anyone. You know, I feel like you rarely see him be so rebellious, but you obviously know he has it in him because no one wins like that Mm -hmm. without having a bit of a, like, fuck it attitude. And to actually sort of see him be, like, ever so slightly less of a gentleman was very fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we just really start to see how important winning is to him. He has that one quote about how he's kind of forgotten how it feels to win, which I Mm. don't understand how that's possible when you've won seven world championships. And like, I think he's won over a hundred races when you are that successful in your career to have had this long of a break and straight up say that you've forgotten what that feels like and have still have that drive to you is phenomenal. And and it starts to make sense It was crazy, yeah. It was crazy to
0: hear. I get it. I do get it though. Like on the absolute most minuscule level, When I go, like, a few weeks in between, like, writing anything, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, can I even write anymore? I don't even know (laughs) if I, like, know how to create a sentence. Maybe I suck. Maybe I'm the worst. And, like, I think you can, you know, yeah, it's like you go off momentum. You win one world championship, and then you win a second, and then you win a seventh. But -hmm. it was crazy to hear him say that because— it doesn't feel like that long ago, but I bet to him it feels like forever when he's not getting podiums anymore.
1: Yeah, and, and this is when they start to kind of play up the Ferrari rumors, which, you know, for for those of us watching in season, that really kind of hit a like an explosive stage in Monaco. I think he was asked about it right around the time of the Monaco Grand Prix, and we see the quotes from him in the show about, you know, we haven't been in touch until you hear anything from me. All this speculation is purely speculation. He really kind of, you know, levels all of those rumors and Toto comes through and says, we have promised to always be open and transparent with one another. And like, if he's not talking to me about this and I'm not worried about that, which is all so funny, given the current context that we have now that uh, actually, you know, this <laughs> there might have been more to this than we were at first first playing
0: up. And and but it's yeah, like, I mean, we... it's like good for Lewis. Like, that's such right. a load of bullshit, I think, from Toto. <laughs> and it was really funny to watch that. It's like, yeah, well, I guess every job is just a job, no matter how much you love it. Like, to hear Toto be like, this is a family, you know, like classic, mm-hmm. really toxic workplace language. Yes, like, yes. no, it's not a family. Lewis is your employee and he's got to look out for himself because even I do. I don't want to undercut that, like, the love is clearly there. And I think... Think those two respect each other mm-hmm. so much and like yes. genuinely love each other and see each other as friends. And like, I, I love when Lewis was like, I've learned so much from Toto and I hope he's learned one or two things from me. And I'm sure given the opportunity, Toto would say that he's learned a ton from mm-hmm. Lewis, but it's still a job. It's not a family. And for Toto to suggest that if the tables were turned and Lewis wasn't driving well and Mm -hmm. the car was in a good place and they were looking for a different driver, that he would be transparent with Lewis about... What are we talking (laughs) about? What are we talking about?
1: Toto, don't act like we're dumb. We know what is going on. We understand. We get this wonderful quote from George that says something like, if Lewis leaves, it'll look a lot like he's lost faith in the team. Which, uh, again, like, like these are just all these are so fun to parse now, given the, the end of the season and, and all of this. And we get, you know, Toto after Lewis resigns, he says, you know, these are these are really precious years for me. We sort of get that glimpse into him where he's like, I can't race forever. Toto, like you could be here until you're 70, 80 working for this team. He was like, I don't have that in me. I really need to win now. I need this to be my last good years. And then he resigns and we get Toto saying that Lewis wouldn't look right in red. And that quote, he is a loyal guy, not not for
0: long, not for long, <laughs> don't you know that the dry to survive producers and editors when they got that line in combination with the news that Lewis had signed were just like rubbing their hands together like Mr. Burns, like, just absolutely <laughs> delicious what Megan, what does like the timing of this news about Lewis and Ferrari coming out right now? mean. Like, like George said, you know, this will suggest a lack of mm-hmm. of belief in the team. And it's it's not like it will suggest that. That that is literally what it means. But, so yeah. <laughs> I'm curious yeah. about like like what yeah, kind of what the reception of that has been in regards to like Mercedes.
1: Yeah, it it certainly seems like he is not optimistic about their performance for this season. And, you know, given some of the quotes from from Drive to Survive and what he said, maybe it seems like they're not taking his car specifications into account anymore maybe he just doesn't believe that they can turn things around they have new car regulations coming through in 2026 so maybe he's trying to set up timing with Ferrari so that he has kind of one season with the team and then when everyone revamps their cars full scale maybe that would be a good change but really i mean for him to have gone through the second half of last season a full month of the off season and really like around the time when this was announced is when the drivers start kind of coming back to the factory, start getting reintegrated with the team. It, it shows that like maybe the Mercedes car is just not going to be good again this year and Lewis is done with waiting. And we don't know how long the negotiations were going on with Ferrari. So maybe it was just sort of a, you know, kind of drug out thing. But the timing is really weird. He's going to be racing with Mercedes for a full season, knowing full well that he is like a lame duck driver where he is at this point. And it's just going to be Very, very dramatic, both from a car development perspective and also his inner workings, both within his own team and looking at what Ferrari ends up doing with their car this season.
0: Yeah, I assume that it is about to be a very silly season and that uh, that is going to make for some great television and some great swapping around of drivers next year. I think I was listening to you say, you know, like that, that maybe he's just feeling like he's really not being listened to anymore that his like his thoughts aren't being taken into account and i know there were some i know the reception of of danica as a commentator has been sort of mixed uh but Mm -hmm. i did think that one i liked one thing she said when she was like toto can't guarantee lewis a championship the best thing he can do is guarantee him that he'll be listened to and that's that's what you know that's what you have to assume has just kind of we're not a family anymore, you know. If you're not listening to each other, <laughs> this this season was so funny because like people talked about communication a lot. Like on mm-hmm. Alpine, that was a big thing too. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, we just need like Otmar is not building communication like we need, and in that way, it does it is it's like a dysfunctional family.
1: You really see, I, th- I think that's one of the beauties of this season is you really do see how important. EQ is in sports. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot in sports. You know, we talk a lot about money. We talk a lot about performance, but really like to see how badly these like multi hundred million billion dollar companies are messing up such simple things as like not building a functional foundation for their company, not believing in their drivers, not having their drivers trust them because you're not communicating, communicating, your strategy and and where you're going with things is so fascinating. It seems like such a basic fundamental thing that, these people just screw up time and time again. It's not great.
0: Yeah, just being like, hey, these two drivers hate each other and have for well <laughs> over a decade. Maybe I'll put them on the same team and hope for the best. It's like, that's just, that is not how humanity works. But in many ways, I think what makes episode six so fascinating is that I think that Toto and Lewis really do have very high EQ. So watching yeah. them like navigate one another as like mature adults uh, is, you know, it's like, it's really interesting. It's also kind of sad. Like it's like, it's pretty sad to think about and, and just, and fascinating. And, you know, like I keep saying, I think is like really set us up for an interesting actual next season of Formula One and Mm -hmm. also next season of Drive to Survive.
1: Yes. Yes. Especially next season of Drive to Survive. Um, Okay. Let's get into episode seven. This is our second Alpine episode of This season, which I got to be honest, I don't think I needed multiple Alpine episodes given uh, the fact that they weren't very good on the track and outside of their Australia incident weren't entirely all that interesting off the track, but... Uh, we I did, think we could have know. done it
0: in one. I, I think we I, could have I, done it in one. And like, I say that as, and I I know, I, I listened to you and Juliette, I, I know she's coming from the same place. Like, Pierre Gasly is someone who I think who has really benefited from Drive to yes. Survive and from being sort of cast as an underdog. Like, I'm, you know, I am like a Pierre Gasly fan and I feel like I know his personality from this show. And so I come into this feud between he and Esteban Ocon as like, I'm, you know, I'm on Gasly's side. Yeah, right. And right. I don't know really exactly where I came out of it. But even so, I think I think two episodes might have been one too many. Although it it probably should have just been this one. I mean, I we'll get into it. But the the Otmar stuff was shocking.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So we opened this one with Alpine getting a new influx of cash in the form of many Hollywood celebrities, <laughs> like. Ryan Reynolds. Uh, we get the very nice shot of him, you know, throwing on his like Alpine Letterman's jacket and and really just fully leaning into this, which is hilarious. We also get uh, some extremely orchestrated conversations in this episode. You already touched on the Esteban Ocon San Tropez yacht experience where he's with his parents and manager and they're sitting around asking him very basic questions like, Oh, how is this season going and how are you holding up? And I'm like, are there like drive to survive producers standing behind the camera with cue cards telling yeah. them to
0: ask you this or what? Cuz I did think it was I I did think it was funny that his dad was like, "So, how do you think the season's going like yeah, they haven't right. talked in, you know, months or whatever?" Right, but it also right. he looked so pained to have to answer it and it did feel a little bit like when you're barely holding on by a thread and you think you're fine. And then your mom's like, how are you doing? And you just immediately start crying. Yeah. <laughs> it felt <laughs> a little bit like that. Like he was like, uh, not good, dad. <laughs> right, right. Hasn't been great. I'm not it's having not a good time.
1: <laughs> we also get Pierre Gasly at a San Antonio Spurs game, which is uh really adorable. And I'm, you know, glad for him that he's enjoying Texas and all of all of those things. And then we really get into the nitty-gritty of Alpine doing poorly. We get perhaps the least inspiring pep talk ever from Otmar <laughs> basically saying like don't worry about this, shit happens. Um it, like if you're building a car that's worth tens of millions of dollars, that's probably not a good enough attitude. No. And we get their double DNF in Silverstone, them, you know, running into each other and over each other in Hungary. And then we get Otmar being fired during a race weekend which was um shocking in the moment and even more shocking maybe to see on drive to survive him just kind of walking around spa being like
0: i don't know what happened walking around the paddock with his like old man bag his like beat up briefcase just being (laughs) like yeah man that was crazy if i were him i would have been whisked away in a helicopter like i I would he is such an interesting person. I, I like I, I from the show am an Otmar fan. I found mm-hmm. myself, you know, he's such like I find him to be like the much more watchable version of Zach Brown. Like, like yes. Zach Brown is a uh, is like a dork and Otmar is a nerd. And I mm-hmm. find that like that differentiation very important for being able to, to sort of like watch and tolerate them on television but it was sort of reaching a threshold here of like hotmart where is the fire like you you, you mm. can't say after after um i guess like the belgian grand prix when they i think was their their first like double elimination of no points he's like you know there were some positives and there were some negatives my guy, there were no positives. There are no (laughs) positives here. And I do think that is like the approach you need to be taking because things are spiraling. Yeah. And then, and then they got another double elimination. Like I, I, I don't think he deserved it in literally the middle of a race weekend, but the sacking was imminent.
1: Yeah. It seems like they had maybe just gotten to sort of an untenable situation, but there are certainly times where like, it's okay to be an optimist. And there are times when maybe you need to be a realist. And I, I don't think he was, he was matching those two up maybe as often as he should have been toward the end. And um, I, I don't know like what kind of conversations were going on, but he j- did just seem sort of defeated and very like chill and sort of we'll get through it. And, And you don't get that kind of time in formula one, as we've seen time and time again with, you know, even Mattia Bonotto at Ferrari, who had a lot more success than Otmar has had at Alpine. Um, mm-hmm. You don't just get race after race when you are spending this kind of money and getting new investments and in things. And uh, it, it was really, really tough to see. I I will miss him on the show. I, I'm with you that he is a very interesting character. He almost, um, like James Vowles, almost reminds me of like a young Otmar where he yeah. seems much more focused on the data and like, how can I build this team up from the ground up rather than sort of a fiery, like Dan Campbell, Gunther Steiner kind of person who's going to come in and be like, we're going to work hard and we're going <laughs> to do this and whatever. It seems very much like the opposite, but um, do you have any sort of confidence in Alpine going forward after this? Did uh, did their new team principal Bruno Famine inspire much for you or, or is this just sort of an RIP Atmar, Atmar episode?
0: I mean I wouldn't say that like Bruno is jumping off the screen but mm-hmm. in in that way as far as like building a character but in terms of building a narrative they certainly build this episode towards like oh now we're in better hands and you know they do go on to win or Ghastly gets on gets gets on a podium so like that's a win um and I I did I did find it I I, his approach was so different than Otmars and they yeah. spend the entire first half of the episode both drivers basically being like the communi- like everything is this family is broken down the communication <laughs> is out of whack we need a family meeting Otmar's clearly not calling it. And, like, the first thing Bruno does when he, you know, gets the reins is, like, he pulls those two drivers into a back alley meeting by their ears, I guess, and, like, clunk- clunks their heads together. And they walk out <laughs> and they're like, we're doing great. Things are fine. We love each other again. I Gasly says at some point, like, we're better than we haven't been, been in 10 years. And that mm-hmm. might be, you know, talk. I don't know. But I d- I did... I got the feeling that things were better. But It it may have been more of a Band-Aid than, like, an actual, you know, repaired bone, but we'll see.
1: I did think it was interesting that we didn't get audio from that meeting, whereas, like, you know, we got, like, the Ferrari one later in this season, we got sort of... Charles and Carlos coming together with their like giant Kardashian level salads, and oh my gosh, you know those ha- hanging out with <laughs> hanging out with Fred and having their heart to heart and deciding you know the team is more important than us or whatever. So this yeah. leads me to believe that maybe their conversation was more of like aI am dropping the hammer, this needs uh-huh. to stop now, like you guys need to like get your shit together because we heard nothing and and that is a that's a big kind of uh my ears perked up about that. So
0: crazy! Yeah. I was intrigued, and um, I think it would be interesting if if that's the approach that he's taking, as like a much more intense one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles, from interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner. ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit Armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, And then we get episode eight, which is our Ferrari episode. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway from this episode is just the fact that being associated with Ferrari seems like an incredibly intense experience. We get, you know, the shots of people around Italy listening to their radios and mechanics in the garage discussing how Ferrari is doing this season and where they go from here. And, uh, you know, will will Fred Visser be the guy to lead them back in all of this. And, you know, is Charles ever going to win? And, uh, it, it's just like really fascinating. And then we get all of the Fosi cheering for Carlos while he's in the car with his mom and his mom really like tearing up about how much they seem to love him, which was very endearing. Um, did, like, what did you think of Ferrari just from sort of the intensity surrounding them as we get the Monza race in Italy?
0: I mean, I think that in terms of like this being the sixth season of Drive to Survive, Ferrari has like the sort of longest running storyline. Also, the longest running presence in Formula One, you know, that's for <laughs> yeah. good reason. And it also has kind of like the most painful storyline. Like, we have been watching Charles LeClaire, who was touted from season one of Drive to Survive as like the chosen one, like mm-hmm. the golden boy of Formula One, the future champion. And that, you know, it's clear that the talent is there and like it just feel, and then it's also seems like since Carlos has come over to Ferrari, it just seems like they're getting their heels cut out from under them at every turn. And it's painful to watch. However, there is something about Ferrari that like, even when they're losing, they still have this winning attitude around them and around the team. And like, it's it's a bit of a we're being told this, not shown this sort of situation, but I do buy it. I buy it every time. And like part, you know, it's the history, it's the glamour, it's the Italy of it all. And it's that like these two drivers are just like hot shit, you know, like they're yeah. just so gorgeous and rich together. At one point, <laughs> we're like, Watching Charles like ice pick his way up a mountain, and yeah, and Carlos is like riding a bicycle inside a sauna, just sweating <laughs> on his beautiful body. You know, like it's it's that, and that stuff works, like it works on mm-hmm. TV and it works in real life and I just I really am rooting for them I I thought an interesting like narrative I wonder I wonder if some people really didn't like this but I liked it in terms of following these races in episode eight of showing the sort of like Italian locals being Mm -hmm. so you know you're watching them watch the race in Italy they're so disappointed with the results um, at the Monza Grand Prix but then we also follow them at the Singapore Grand Prix yes and I was like did Netflix stay in Italy? Like, how are <laughs> we still? Did they have the foresight to do this? Like, how are we still mm-hmm. following this like sweet young blonde Italian man who's like so disappointed and then so excited by Ferrari? But it I liked was it. it was
1: very, very, very adorable. Um, I, I loved getting like the local color and seeing because like all of these teams have fan bases, but so many of them are based, you know, in in the UK and and they're not necessarily bound to one specific place, whereas Ferrari, you go to Italy, it's all over the place. People in Italy just, you know, that that's their team. That's what they yeah. love. And, and and you're right that even when they're not doing well, it's a bit like when the Yankees aren't doing well, where like, they're still the Yankees. Like, yeah, they are still the biggest name in this sport. They still have all of the history and all of the lore. They are still, you know, the famous logo. They have all of these resources and all of this fandom. And it's it's really nice to see. The actual people who are there, kind of loving this team so much, and and then we get to Singapore and we get some, you know, classic drive to survive narrative reframing where they really pitch this as this is Ferrari's coming back. You know, we had the the almost accident at the end of um, end of Monza, and you know, then they had the heart to heart, and now things are fine when. Um, in real life, it was more just like Red Bull's car wasn't good on the Singapore track. It was the only track all season that they weren't good at. And rather than actually Ferrari coming back and like beating Red Bull, Red Bull really just kind of beat themselves, which is fine. That's great. And, uh, you know, credit where it's due, Carlos and Ferrari managed to get pole and beat out some other teams that were surging at the time, like McLaren and Mercedes, um, but poor Charles had to get sacrificed a couple of times to make that happen. And uh, it, it was still like, even though we got a little bit of Ferrari redemption toward the end, it was it was a tough Charles episode and a tough Charles season,
0: I think. Megan, can you remember the last Charles episode that wasn't tough? Like I do. <laughs> I am. I'm just like, oh, he's too good and too good looking to like not be winning. It's it's I I do find it. And then I mean, you know, the news of Lewis, like that, that right. is what is that gonna mean for Charles and this narrative? And it is, it is interesting, six seasons in to watch characters, you know, real people who are given these character arcs transition because. I always say, like, on The Housewives, there are sort of, like, two types of successful Housewives. You're either relatable or you're an alien, which means, like, you're, mm. like, so absolutely bizarre. Like, no uh-huh. no real human that we would have ever met. And, like, on this show, you're either a champion or you're an underdog. And so, like, to watch... It's so hard to imagine really having to, like, embrace Charles as an underdog, but that's where we are. And, I mean, you know, that gives him a chance for a come-up as well, but... It's. It was still even, you know, you you mentioned that like the reality is that the Red Bull cars just didn't do well on this track. But I think that kind of comes through. It doesn't, you know, Carlos's win like doesn't feel very celebratory. (laughs) That's true. No one at Ferrari seems very happy. except for yeah, Carlos's mom which is sweet.
1: <laughs> very sweet. Very sweet. I'm happy for her. Well, sad for her now that her son may be out of a seat for 2025. But he's going to use the season left to prove himself. Who knows where he'll end up. We uh, TBD on all of that. But speaking of some uh, some seat juggling, then we get to episode 9, which we get Daniel Ricardo's turn return and almost immediately followed by Daniel Ricardo's injury. Um, We get our good friend Liam Lawson debuts, which is lovely to see. We also get Alex Albon correctly predicting the entire arc of episode two from from this season. That was was amazing. amazing.
0: And like, you know, you have to hand it to Netflix for airing it. They did also air (laughs) Ryan Reynolds being like, I love your documentary. It's so fun. My kids are always like, what are you watching, daddy? (laughs) You know, and like in return for that little Mm -hmm, pat on the back, mm -hmm. they air Alex Albon absolutely just annihilating them in terms of how predictable these narratives are going to be.
1: <laughs> it was great. I was like 10 out of 10. He crushed it. He knows exactly like he has a career potentially in editing after this because that was wild. So we started off getting a little bit on like the perspective battle brewing between Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Sonoda. They're both sort of after that second Red Bull seat for either you know 2024, maybe 2025, trying to prove themselves against one another. Then we get into the Dutch Grand Prix practice where Danny crashes trying to avoid Oscar Piastri, breaks his hand out minimum six weeks. Like really extremely tough. He seemed so excited going to into this, so excited to be back in the car. And then you see him exit immediately stage left. And we get this young up and comer, Liam Lawson, who I I have to say, like even watching, you know, week to week, I didn't feel like I learned all that much about him because he always just sort of felt like a stand-in for Daniel Ricardo. Mm-hmm. But I really liked him after watching this. Like, he seemed very earnest, very relatable. We got this cute moment with him waiting outside the press room with Fernando, Alonso, uh, Carlos, and Max. And he is just, like, standing there so awkward, not saying anything until they start, you know, kind of talking to him and getting advice on how hot it's going to be in Singapore. And it was just, like... Sometimes these drivers are just like us, and they're also awkward, and it was adorable.
0: That's what I was just thinking. I was like, "Oh, talking about the weather when you don't know what to talk about." <laughs> like, yeah, no, Formula One drivers—they're just like us. I was so deeply charmed by Liam Lawson and his youth, and like, as far as we understand it uh, from the show, has maybe never driven a. a a Formula One race car ever before until he's actually, like, competing in a race. He's just, you know, he's been doing simulations, he's played the video game a lot, and he's ready to go. It also, (laughs) like, his literal introduction to us in the Drive to Survive chair and him, like, being like, Hi, I'm Liam. And they're like, Don't say hi. It's so clear (laughs) that he not only can't believe he's in the Formula One seat all of a sudden, he also can't believe he's in this Drive to Survive seat. Like... I can't imagine being thrust into the biggest moment of your sports career and then also being like, oh, also we're filming a reality TV documentary. Mm-hmm. You need you need to like do interviews and look alive. But I mean, for him, the charm comes very natural to him because his charmingness is how earnest he is and sort yes. of how like emotionally available he is. You know, he talks mm-hmm. a lot about knowing what this means to him and knowing that he ha- he has these moments to prove himself. And he does prove himself. And when that isn't enough to get him the permanent seat, he talks about how disappointed he is. And you like, you really need characters like that who like really let you into the emotionality of this sport. And so like, I loved episode nine. It was It was probably my favorite in the back half because it just gave us all of this like, emotional turmoil and also like you mentioned like the the emotional journey of daniel ricardo who is another one that we've been watching from the beginning who was sort of cast as a champion and now we're sort of like i guess asked to see him as an underdog and it's really hard like it's like this guy an underdog no but i mean we haven't seen him we haven't seen him win in so long I just, I hurt for him. I I really would maybe just like to see him, like, in a commentator's seat. Like, can I just hear you talk about Formula One and not have to watch you break your hand? (laughs) It was awful. I know. It feels like watching your best
1: friend, like, go out and and try to really accomplish something and just sort of, like, get beaten down over and over and over again by this thing that is not good for them, but... You still want success for them. So you can't really tell them to stop. But also internally, you're like, maybe we just don't do this anymore. And maybe you find something else that makes you happy, because I don't think this is going to make you
0: happy. Yeah. Like, maybe there are other things. There are other men you could date. I don't know. know, It's (laughs) like just maybe there is something better if you could just. But but you're right that like I want to. It's like, if this is what Daniel Ricciardo wants, then I want it for him. But it's just right. hard to keep wanting it for him when it's so hard on him. And then, you know, at the end of the episode, when the results, or the end of the episode slash the end of the actual Formula One season, like when the right. result is that is that Daniel Ricciardo gets this seat, and I know this happens all the time, but we're we're told so many times throughout this season that this is like the sort of builder team for Red Bull, you know, like mm-hmm. this is where we cultivate talent. And then to see this sort of young talent come in who proves himself. And instead this sort of like older talent gets the seat. Yeah. It felt, it felt like I was being led in a different direction. And then the rug got pulled out from under me. How dare you drive to survive?
1: <laughs> and also I feel like that is normally what dri- how drive to survive sets things up, right? Like we get the Liam Lawson introduction. We get him talking about you know, his childhood and how much his dad giving, you know, bringing him to all of these races and really for, like helping formulate his career meant to him. and, you know, how he has waited so long for this seat. And now he gets this opportunity and he does so well. And normally, the payoff is he gets the seat. We get to watch him going forward. And this it really was like a bait and switch, which i I found effective because I feel I felt my heart kind of breaking for him when he has that conversation with Christian Horner. And hears, you know, we're going with Yuki and Daniel next season, like, I don't even think he really gets much of an apology, like much of an explanation. And I'm sure there's more to it than just that one conversation. But, you know, just hearing him kind of have to sit there and accept that, like, he really did all he could and it wasn't enough was heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, I also uh, you know, I've said like I always want to know about the money and the numbers and yeah. he said Liam Lawson said a few things about money that like I found really interesting and that sort of even and even though they were very small like established some real world stakes for him which is that like mm-hmm. you know, he says like his family Did not have enough money for him to like be in, you know, like competing in F3. So he used like the Red Bull Junior program. Like that was the only way he's ever going to get into Formula One. And then he talks about that you don't make any money in Formula Two. Like you, you do not Mm -hmm. make real money until you're in Formula One. And it kind of feels like he's like, yeah, man, I need a check. Like there's only so long (laughs) that I can keep like practicing this really expensive sport without making a lot of money and Mm -hmm. he kind of briefly has like a hint at it and then that gets taken away from him too i mean he he is a reserve driver but i think i think it seems like there's like a good chance that he is still gonna get in one way or another um especially after this performance and i think also this is where like in a very meta way drive to survive has a certain amount of influence of like This kid has fans now. Like, there's, you know, like, he there's real interest in him as a person and as a driver from, like, one episode of Drive to Survive that he Mm -hmm. certainly would not have had otherwise. So even though it didn't work out the way he would have wanted, it did work out in some ways, just getting to see him at all.
1: Yeah. I'm a new fan. I'm rooting for good things (laughs) for him. Um, Only the best for Liam Lawson. Protect Liam Lawson.
0: (laughs) He's so precious. Um,
1: so adorable. So adorable. And then we get to episode 10, which is our red or black episode, our Mercedes versus Ferrari battle, our Vegas Grand Prix episode, which uh, you knew we were going to get one of those this year. That was almost almost pre-written like written in the stars, having Drive to Survive in Vegas together. Did you follow um, the Vegas Grand Prix at all while it was happening, or was a lot of this new to you?
0: So it was both new to me and... I was in Las Vegas for BravoCon right before the Formula One race this year. So, So that would be on next season's Drive to Survive. But I did feel like I understood some of it a little more because... I hope that Bravo Khan is never the weekend before Formula One's <laughs> race in Las Vegas ever again because you could not get anywhere. This the city was like completely shut down. The strip is totally different. You know, it's just it was it was very crazy. But I did think it was kind of cool to see like you know, people be excited about coming to the United States. <laughs> like people seemed like genuinely excited about the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which I just feel like is not always a reaction that you get when the other options of where you're going are like Monaco. Um, So right. that was kind of cool, you know, American right. culture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it was nice to see, you know, some of the inner workings, hear some of them talk about how they spend time in Vegas with I forget if it was Lando's birthday or Charles's birthday, one of their birthdays. And they were like talking about how much they gambled and how late they were out. And I was like, oh, good. So they actually like did enjoy Vegas to some degree, which is nice. They weren't just just driving the whole time. And then we get, you know, a little bit more into the standings. And I think we normally do a drive to survive. We get, you know, hear a lot about the Ferrari gap behind Mercedes for second place. We hear about McLaren and Aston Martin kind of duking it out for fourth place. We get some of the, behind the scenes stuff of Carlos running over a drain cover, messing up the whole bottom of his car. And uh, we get some spicy Fred Vester quotes about the fact that Carlos caught a 10 place grid penalty for this while they are in the hunt for something that wasn't really his fault, which I actually wholeheartedly agree with him on. Um, but I didn't think I would ever see him get that heated in a press conference.
0: Yeah, we haven't talked about Fred that much for Ferrari Fred, as I was calling him in my head <laughs> while watching. Like I really enjoyed his presence. I we've mm-hmm. seen him a little bit before on on Drive to Survive and like haven't gotten much, but I, I <laughs> I love that he's like a French goofball. So like, he doesn't seem like a goofball at all. But everyone's like, that Fred, he's crazy. And it's really him (laughs) just like making faces. You know, it's like the meme of that girl where you're like, she's so crazy and she has a bag of French fries on her head. But like, (laughs) yeah, he's just kind of like, he makes goofy faces. Like he's kind of a goober but he seems good at what he does. Mm -hmm. And like in terms of turning Ferrari around the season around, I mean, you know, he's also responsible for the beginning of the season as well, but like, it seems like he makes more good decisions than bad decisions. And I appreciated how he handled himself in that press conference, you know? And I appreciate how the journalist was also like, listen, this is what I'm here to do, and this is what you're here to do, so let's just yes. keep at it. Like, it it all, you know, it was like, yeah, this is what we want to see, like a little bit of a dispute. And of course, he doesn't want to talk about this. But I'm also like, how is that fair? That the drain, the drain is not their fault. It is their fault that they used... All of their reserve engines, right? I guess, right. But that right. seems like such a big penalty for something that was like completely not their fault, not Carlos' right. fault. And of course, it happened to my all-time fave, Carlos. So it's especially <laughs> unfair.
1: Well, and also, like, it happens in the second to last race of the season. Like, if if your team isn't mostly tapped out at that point, like that would be pretty shocking. And right, I like I I fully understand his frustration. And I'm with you. I thought he elaborated on it well and was just like, I am going, I'm keeping the focus on here. This is my job as the team principal is to sort of be out here and be a little bit of the hothead and to try and figure out how my team is going to navigate around this, because this has really challenged us for when we're trying to fight for second place in the championship. It was really, really frustrating for him clearly. And uh, yeah, I think, I think you showed that a lot. And then we also get into Abu Dhabi, which we lead off with, um, Zach Brown saying he got kind of a sketchy text from Lawrence Stroll about their fight for fourth place. And when his McLaren kind of buddy is in the car and asked him like, well, what did he say? And Zach says, it's not made for PGTV. I was like, I, I thought we were going to like circle back around on that. Cause we had like Lawrence talk a little bit later and saw him on track. And I thought eventually we would get some sort of resolution as to like, what was in this text or, like, alluding to it. And they just sort of left it there.
0: Also, I, let's I be no very idea. clear. This is not PGTV. Like, the, the right. word cloud of this show is, like, fuckity fuck fuck fuck. Like, <laughs> this is not PGTV. We could right. we could say a lot here, and we have. Right. Like, right. They, we're talking about winking. We are cursing constantly. <laughs> like, there, things are on the table. I felt like that felt like such classic, dork, Zach Brown. (laughs) like, Just say it, man. It either wasn't that bad and he's mm -hmm. just kind of like building something. And I felt like, yeah, his buddy that he was talking to was really setting him up. I mean, just give us a hint.
1: Yeah. Right. Like like just a little like, oh, you know, he was, you know, upset about X, Y and Z or whatever. Like we just really got nothing. And I was like, is he like telling you to fuck off over like you guys battling for fourth? Because that seems kind of out of pocket and and strange, and not that you know billionaires aren't strange in their own right. And Lawrence Stroll, you know, perhaps especially after we saw his massive party in episode one. But uh, I, I really, oh, yeah. was like more Lawrence from Stroll that.
0: is hunting people. Like, if <laughs> I would like, to, and if that is what he's talking about, I would, I would like to know. You know, I, I like, think. Tell me I think what we he said. F-
1: I think we have a right to know if, if that is the case, <laughs> that I don't ever end up in his vicinity. Right. But yeah, this episode sort of ends. We get Mercedes wins uh, second place in the Constructors. McLaren gets fourth. We say goodbye to Gunther Steiner, and that is the end of season six. I just have a couple kind of general questions for you at the end. Who was your MVP of the last five episodes, and who was your LVP? I, I have some some thoughts, but I'm curious... Uh, who stood
0: out to you the most and, and maybe the least? I mean, I guess, let's see, most valuable player of the back half would be maybe, like, you know, I we didn't talk about him this much, but I, I do feel like it always comes back to the principles for this. Like, mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. who we kind of get the most of and the character's character behind. And I feel like I really got a lot out of Ferrari Fred. Like, I, I do think in terms of building narrative, but also being kind of like a, you know, an alien, like a sly little weirdo. I, I liked him a lot. And then like the, the back half, LV- okay, well, there are two ways you could look at mm-hmm. LVP, which is like, sort of like actual loser of the back half is Otmar. Like, that's a very yes. tough look for him. I, yes. I'll never really recover from him just like sort of wandering around the paddock. Like, And I I still can't, he's so, I still cannot believe he was out there talking to people. Like, that's so crazy. And he wasn't even out there talking to people being mad. You know, he was just kind of like, yeah, man, I am shocked. Yeah, he was out just like shaking
1: hands with journalists, people being like, you know, I like, I don't know how this happened to you. Like, I'm sure good things will come. And he was just sort of like, out in like, standing in disbelief being like, yeah, I don't know what happened either. Like. Just like it, he seemed stunned, like shell shocked. Honestly, that yes, was a really a
0: fascinating display of human behavior. But like <laughs> actual least valuable player for the back half, and then probably like the entire season is is like is Red Bull. You know, like we just got nothing and. Yeah. And I love Chaco and like I, you know, even when we haven't gotten Max and when we've gotten a ton of Christian, there's usually been still been some sort of Chaco narrative. And like the Mm -hmm. complete lack of that, I found a little strange and suspicious, Um, especially when he seemed to like be doing well in the beginning of the season and we weren't really seeing that.
1: Yeah. Um, And he had like a a very difficult end to this season too, where there were a lot of rumors flying around about whether he would be back in this seat for 2024. And, you know, they have Helmet Marco who's sort of the resident Red Bull, like Darth Vader lurking around being like, you know, I I don't know if he still has it and and all of that. And I I expected that we would have maybe more from him, especially like, like you were saying, he won a few races in the the beginning and then sort of fell off. Um, So that was weird. My MVP was Lewis just because, I think he made himself seem seem very invaluable to uh, multiple teams. And we finally, finally got a solo Lewis episode, which was exciting. And uh, my LVP, um, always an MVP in my heart was just Gunther Steiner for the way his uh, narrative trickled out at the end. It's very, very sad. I'm going to miss him. Truly. I don't know what Drive to Survive looks like without him.
0: I know. I know there's even just in in one of these last episodes there's sort of like a clip of him like you know drinking a cappuccino in silhouette and like just not being able to watch him chug espressos out of a paper cup is going <laughs> to feel very weird and like a loss. I mean, I get it. Like I I don't know where there was to to go from him, but yeah, Lewis as an MVP is a great choice and I think like and I'm glad to see it because you know he is this huge, huge presence in Formula One. So like to get that kind of access to him in Drive to Survive is very cool. And and also I really liked what even even when it was a little toxic workplace culture, I really liked watching that dynamic between he and Toto. And I always mm-hmm. want, oh, frankly, I always want more Susie Wolf. And I I loved watching Truly. her be like, you know, you can't you can't win them all, buddy, and then, like. You know, she's just such a realist and I love her. So that kind of Mercedes access was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I love any and all Susie. Um, It was cute to see their son, Jack. Oh my God. And, and then both being like, he's going to complain that it's not fast enough. I was like, wow. So he takes after both of his parents. Yes. Like, Congratulations, Wolf family. How exciting yes.
0: for you. And, and Toto was like, you know, we don't actually want you to be a driver. I was like, well, that's not happening. <laughs> like, Good he luck, seems, man. Yeah, he seems very content out on this track. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. Amazing. What a season. Thank you so much, Jody, for joining us to talk about this. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for the production help. And thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Runner F one show. We will be back very soon to talk about real formula one racing. So excited. Thanks everyone.